My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Good, the Bad, and the Hungi AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We take a broad scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines. And we also look at it from a big picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW? Are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on the good, the bad, and the hungry every week on the Voices of Wrestling Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network and powered by a large man appears.com. I'm your party host, your uh, guest GM on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined this week not by Lee Malone. We are still, as I said, in our guest host era. I thought long and hard about who my ideal guests for an episode of Days of Thunder and right at the top of my list was our guest for this week long time friend of the show first time caller first time appearance uh, by uh, the the queen of the undercard herself is Aaron Quinn Aaron how are you? Uh, Dave well thank you so much I'm super happy to be here on the show um, I have appreciated Days of Thunder for so long because you do the work that no one else is willing to do. You put in the hard hours, you pave Thunder Road, you're walking down it all alone right now. And I just had to come up from the ditches off the shoulder and accompany you a little bit of your way down a pretty tumultuous week in WCW. Every week's tumultuous, but I'm happy to be on this leg of the journey with you. Yeah, I, I feel like it's one of those things is like when you look back and there was only one set of footsteps, that's when I carried you down Thunder Road. <laughs> that's where we're at at the moment. We're in that period. It's kind of great that we're having different voices come on the show, different guests, different perspectives, because we're in this period that we've talked about. Myself and Lee have gone on about that the four horsemen of the WCW apocalypse have started, but we haven't gotten into the fun, bad era yet. It's the... Oh God, this is so tedious. There's some 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 fun bad stuff. Sting's getting mauled by dogs. That's pretty cool. Uh, but a lot of it is kind of you're seeing bad decisions being made that are just you know I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. This, this is a murky era. Um, 
thinking about my own WCW fandom, I know in 1999 I wasn't watching a lot of WWF, even though I was I was in tune with like reading results. Mm. And I feel like I watched a lot of this, but mostly on Nitro. Yeah. And the, this era is like there's like in, in a month, all of this is different. By the time you get to Road Wild, all these alignments are different. Yeah. And you would have no idea what the plan is for Starcade just watching this show. Yeah. And I've always kind of like, this company used to be so focused, and now I have no idea what's going on. Um, mm. I still think this is fun bad. I think with WCW, yeah. there's no bad bad. There's only fun bad. There, There is definitely stuff I'm picking out of it that I'm really enjoying. And there's stuff on this show that like, whether intentionally or not, I am getting great entertainment out of it. I do want to go b- circle back to your WCW fandom in a second, but I do want to uh, agree that point you've made there that like this is this period is so weird because of like how quickly things are changing and how like we've got this kind of weird Nash booking era and we know we're heading towards Russo in just like about three months of real time, uh, six months of podcasting time. Ugh. Um but everything is so unmoored from the order I thought everything happened in in my head. There's been loads of times recently on a on either I'm saying it on the podcast or I'm thinking it when I'm writing notes or I'm like, I don't remember this happening for a long time. Like something we're we're we've been hitting on lately is the increased references to the phrase filthy animals. And that seems to be a case of trying to make fetch happen where it seems like the, the three guys are going into business for themselves going please put us in the stable please put us in the stable because they just keep bringing it up and you know they're gonna make it happen um but all this stuff is happening earlier than i remember in my head because you know i've mentioned it on the show before i'm slightly different from you in as much as i was watching all wwf at the time but i was also watching five hours of wcw a week because they used to do i can't remember what night it was of the week but they'd basically show nitro then thunder back to back sometimes on on tnt our version of tnt so like cartoon network would end at nine o'clock and it's sundown and then it just become a highlights package of tnt and sometimes it would be nitro and then thunder and i don't know how long i was missing thunder for because i'd watch to the near the end of nitro and then just turn it off because it was bedtime i had school in the morning and then one night i just happened to have it on i was like oh my god there's another show like I had heard them mention Thunder, but hadn't seen anything of it. And that's right around now is when when that's happening for me. But for you, where did your, I suppose, wrestling fandom start in general? And then specifically WCW. So the way it plays out in my head, and I'm not sure exactly if this is exactly like what happened, but I remember flipping through the channels one day and I saw Brutus Beefcake clothesline someone. And I was like, what did he do to that man? He knocked that man over with his arm. And I was like, this was either like early 90 or late 89. So I yep. was seven-ish. Mm-hmm. Eight. And so I was just fascinated. What fighting style? Plus he's a barber. And that hooked me right there. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know why. And it just like spiraled out of control. And I found WCW pretty soon afterwards because you just especially in that area you just flip the tv and wcw um back then like here in the states had at least four shows on the weekend yeah um and so i came into wcw around clash 10 so that was around february of 1990 and i remember that was like the first time i saw like the horseman and sting 
was when the horseman turned on him right then and there. That was like my first exposure to wow. WCW. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I could kind of tell it's like was more serious. Yeah. And the wrestling was better. And I could tell the wrestling was better. And this is so dumb. But yeah. because when I first watched WCW, the first move that stood out to me was someone doing a power slam. And I had never seen a power slam on superstars or challenge or whatever else was on the Fed yeah. side. And I was like, oh, this wrestling is like much tougher because they did a much more powerful slam. And <laughs> that on out, WCW was like my jam. And I dressed up as Sting when I was like in first grade, when I was like 10 years old. And my first pay-per-view was Great American Bash 97 in the Quad Cities. And yeah. Yeah, WCW's just always been in my blood. I'll bleed uh, purple and yellow until the day I die. You can bury me with my slam jam tapes. Just all out, hardcore, hack, um, you know, till the end, ride or die. I was, I was talking to somebody recently about the sting factor, like just how cool that guy was for like multiple different eras and multiple different kids growing up so like you're telling the story of dressing up as sting in first grade and i remember like when i tuned in in the late 90s then to wcw like um i had been a, a wwf watcher since 96 um and it was probably 98 99 when i started watching nitro and then later in 99 thunder but um like crow sting was the coolest thing i'd ever seen <laughs> like genuinely it's like it's like in my head at the time because i didn't have any I didn't know what the crow was as a as a movie, but like I was just basically like, "Fucking Batman's wrestling! What the fuck!" Like is what it looked like to seven, eight year old me. And it's funny, like I I share uh, an experience with you, like when you're able to, you can't put a word on it, but you know the wrestling is better in one company. And like I remember that as like again a nine year old when Russo takes the book in WCW and going, "This is suddenly a lot worse." like real quick uh, compared to what I remember. I was real into some of these people and now they're all doofuses. What's happened? And like, I don't even, I don't know for sure at what point, like I was smartened up, you know, it, it was probably something about this probably brought it screeching into like um, Captain Obvious territory. But yeah, like even though I didn't know the lingo, I didn't really know how a wrestling TV show was put together. I could still smell that something was rotten in the state of Denmark uh, around the time the Russo era starts. Uh, so that is like a, a fascinating comparison. Um, I'm... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I, I am very interested to see like where like the script flips to where it's like painfully obviously Russo. Yeah. And if you're not smartened up when Russo takes over, like he will make sure you are. Yeah. You have no choice at that point. But I just wanted to say one thing about Sting, because mm -hmm. I get to talk about Sting again. Yeah. The reason Sting was so cool was back over on the WWF side, you had Hulk Hogan. Obviously, Hogan's super popular. Everyone loved him. I never really liked him because he kind of wrestled like a jerk. Yeah. But he was still like this mammoth superhero. But Sting was kind of a mammoth superhero with the colors and the paint and the jackets. Mm. And in that way, he was kind of also like Warrior, but you couldn't understand what Warrior was saying. And my child brain did not connect with that. Yeah. But so Sting was like the best version of both those two in mm -hmm. one wrestler. And yeah. he could wrestle. So yeah. he was a colorful superhero and he was the good guy. And he always did what was right. 
and he was never a hypocrite. Like, I'm one of those kids who became, like, a smark really early on, like, the minute Hogan, like, pulled Sid out of the rumble and was being a baby. Yeah. That's when, that's when I was like, no, I'm done with you. Mm. And I was, like, 10. Yeah. Like, totally cringe. Yeah. And I've been that way for the, the last 30 years. Yeah. I had that with like there was a period of time in 99 2000 where I with a hatred of a thousand burning suns hated Triple H not realizing at the time it was just because like he was actually like an incredible heel in that like concentrated period of time between like summer 99 and when he tore the quad where it's like he's 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 got me he's worked me into a shoot here <laughs> like and I'm not realizing I was like a dumb kid booing away but uh, yeah, the, the Sting thing is interesting because like there's still people who I think, um, you know, again, I got I got into it with people on Twitter lately who are underrate his body of work tremendously. Um, the, the whole Sting versus Undertaker thing was up on, on Twitter lately. And then I suppose with All In coming to, to Wembley, um, he's been in the, you know, people have been talking about him again. And there's a whole one of the rumored matches that came out this week, and this is why the discussion I was having in the DMs with somebody came up was that it could be Sting versus MJF and it's Sting's retirement match versus the title. And people going like, do you think that will, like, will that draw a crowd? It's like, hell oh, yeah, that will draw a crowd. Like Sting. Well, the crowd's really... already been drawn. The crowd's yeah. already been drawn as we yeah. report here today. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, and that, that's it. I've been wanting that. There's only one, God, I don't want it to make this an AEW podcast, yeah. but there's only, like one man in that company that I would trust to like take care of Sting for a whole match and it would still yeah. be like a good match and yeah. it's MJF. Yeah. That's so smart. He's the he's the perfect and like there is that I, I saw um a few of my mates tweeting about it this week. It's like it's great because by putting it title versus career or Sting's retirement match, you're letting people know it's important. It's the last time you'll ever see Sting. But then there, there's like five percent of your brain where you're just like, even though you know what the result will be, you're still like, but what if? What if they just, for one glorious week between Wembley and All Out, they just put the fucking belt on him? I like, because old Mid-South Tony, you know, like that's that's something that I wouldn't be able to resist if I had the book. It's like, could I put, could I put Sting on my role of champions in my company? It's like, oh. I mean, either but, way, if you do that in front of, what is it, like 60,000 people at this point? Yeah. It's, it's a monster. The crowd reaction would be insane no matter what happens. And yeah. Now that you've put that thought in my head, I don't want them to do anything else. I know. It's going to be a long, agonizing summer until they announce something completely different. <laughs> um, but um, tell you what, let's get into some thunder, shall we? That's what we're here for. Okay. So this is episode 68 of Thunder from Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, 24th of June, 1999. Slightly up in the ratings this week. It's a 3.3. Um, no video package or recap to start the show directly. Uh, we go into the show. It's the Cajun Dome. Uh, we are two weeks away from Bash at the Beach, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, Larry, uh, this is something I can't believe I hadn't. Uh, I I hadn't thought of before. Now is that um Roman Reigns is watching his his Larry tapes in the nineties as Larry goes to get acknowledged by the fans. So Roman is stealing. <laughs> Incredible, Aaron, showing me the notes. We are of parallel minds here on this. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so they're they're hitting the. This is the thing. Like, even in the this period of WCW, one thing I, I'll never fault them for is they hit the Bash at the Beach promos really hard. Even if the card isn't doing doing anything for me right now, like they they want to let you know this is going to be huge, and it's in two weeks. It's in two weeks. Did you hear? It's in two weeks. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, no, yeah, just. Um, Larry is clearly superior to Roman. He doesn't have to beg for it, and he's way past his prime. Um, I am. I can't wait until Roman is, you know, in his fifties, sitting at the desk, being like, "Oh, Michael, the game of human chess, very important." And doing this thing, it's gonna be great. Yeah, talking about his golf game at every opportunity. It'll be. It'll it'll be. All in his backyard when he was young. Yeah. and saw and took him under his wing just it's good. oh i i actually now that i think about it is like larry is is harder working in some ways than roman is now because larry makes more tv dates he's sitting <laughs> at the desk but he's there <laughs> like he's physically there mentally you can you make that argument all day long but physically larry's at the bill and every week reliable for the blue brand I this is this is the blue brand, right? Yeah, yeah, damn right it is. The blue, the blue and slightly gray brand. It's gonna be very gray very soon. Yeah. Um. So Team Savage versus uh, Nash and Sting is the pay per view main event. Uh. The the accidental tradition of multi man matches as your uh, Bash at the Beach main event. What's that? What's that tag team match doing for you in terms of uh, excitement? Um. This is like. So this tag team match is for the world heavyweight title, and yes. I hate, and I remember hating it in the moment, and yeah. I I just oh my god like do a four way it's right there that's right it's right there I yeah. hate it so much I hate I oh my my only note is I hated that Bash of the Beach main event yeah. because it's so nonsensical yeah. and uh it's and Sting like fighting with Nash and uh, yeah it's dumb. There's there's some sort of arc that is now completed by the, you know, 1998 was the year of singles match for the tag team titles. And now we've got tag teams, tag team title or tag team matches for the world title. Can't even say it. That's how confusing it is. And yeah, it really does. Um, That's something that, that was in my notes uh, that I'm kind of reflecting on now is that they've really forced this Nash and Sting issue like it. They're they're forcing the Homer thing in a way that is completely obnoxious anyway. But this sting angle to it where like Nash is doing the thing where, oh, no matter what, I don't trust you. But like Sting has not given this man any reason not to trust him. It's people keep betraying Sting, not the other way around. You know, um, it's not like, you know, I remember um, there was a great during the. This is a very specific pull the Shawn Michaels and John Cena feud from 2007 when they were like an uneasy tag team and they won the titles at one point and they were doing a thing where I can't remember who I think it was it was Edge and Orton kept saying he's gonna turn on you he's gonna turn you at one point they came out on Raw and did like a sizzle reel of Shawn Michaels being in a tag team with somebody and then kicking them in the face and that was great but like in this situation you've got Nash and and Sting, Sting, who was like always a man who stood by his principles, and uh, you know the one time maybe he wavered from WCW was to join up with Nash and the Wolfpack. As like, if anything, Sting's your boy. Like he's one of the very few people you probably can trust in this company right now. 
Um, I, I do think it's incredibly forced. And like you said, the four way or the hell with it. Do Nash versus Sid, big boy battle. You know, do, do anything. I mean, it, it, it feels like a thing I keep saying this year. Anything but what they did. Yeah, no. And he, I mean, is Nash versus Sid the lesser of two? I don't know. Do I guess Sting? Do Sting and Nash? Um, yeah. I, I, you know the, I, the the other side. It flusters me so much mm. that main event. And then I look through this Bash at the Beach card, and one overall critique I had of this whole show is there is so much going on this show that does not matter to the pay per view. Mm-hmm. And it's it's completely wild. And I, I was looking, I was like, there has to be more matches on this show than I remember. And I looked at the card just now and I'm like, no, there are. Yeah. You you all are in for a treat. It's an yeah. all-timer. Something so I, something I've noticed doing the, the pay-per-view prediction game with Lee on the go home show every month is that he's getting a lower and lower batting average on those things because there are just matches there clearly pulling out of their asses in between the end of the last TV and the start of the pay-per-view uh, or stuff that something that we've, we've seen a lot on the show is stuff that for reasons that I will never understand are matches that are only promoted on Nitro and are not mentioned on Thunder. And sometimes one or both participants in the feud never appear on Thunder in the pay-per-view cycle. You're like, Oh, they're around. Holy hell. I, um, so, before I forget, I do want to make a suggestion for the prediction game when you get around to it. Yes. So, much in the tradition of uh, the five-star match game, I think you should uh, you should ask Lee if he can name all the participants in the Junkyard Invitational. What? I'll get him to, to run off the show as soon as he's back. <laughs> but I'm open I, to it. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a good idea because there are <laughs> things that will blow his mind and your mind. So, yeah. I got yeah. There, there are sometimes where I forget to put up the pay per view card before I do the game, and I'm having to stifle a holy shit when I look at these cards <laughs> to not give away the farm uh, when I'm talking to him. But yeah, that 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 sounds like it's going to be fun because I still haven't looked at this card yet myself uh, oh, ahead of time. No, well, that thesis statement, like it's very evident in like the very first match. That idea that like hmm. there are these storylines that are developing that I'm at least kind of interested in, but they yeah. are not going to pay per view. Yeah, so disappointing. So there's a there's a brief Master P Nitro recap. We don't need to get into that too much because we we had nights of Nitro with Master P, and it was you know it was a it was a time it was a happening. Uh, but this did lead into one of my favorite comedy doofus segments i've seen in a while which is uh dave penzer introducing the west texas rednecks plus a pair of windoms for a live performance and this was like if i had a fashion watch segment this would be like this is an all-timer look this is maybe my favorite wcw look since the uh the bret hart cowboy boots episode or the uh the hulk hogan jinkos period of time <laughs> I I am not a fashionista, nor am I to the. I'm sure you'll be surprised. I am not a country western and hunting aficionado. So when the Wyndhams come out, and I guess Bobby Duncan too, come out in these coveralls that are camouflaged, but with the orange hunting vests. Yeah. For the moment, I like. Why are they dressed up like crossing guards? Yeah. I don't understand. Are they construction workers now? <laughs> and. 
So they, they, they lip sync. I mean, they sing the song. They're completely yeah. live. Very impressive. Definitely. 100%. But did you notice that, like, no one seems to know what this song is called? Because yeah. either called I Hate Rap. Yeah. But Kurt Henning very much wants to just call it rap as crap. Yeah. They, um, they, they're definitely, they're agreed on the message of the song. Right. But I, I think it feels like one of those things where they had a meeting about the song and everybody took a different thing away from the meeting. And it one of those things that they disagreed on without realizing it was the actual name of the song. If if I was Eric Bischoff, which I am not, mm. uh, this is where I would say that WCW standards and practices came down on the use of the word crap, but yeah. you can't control Kurt Henning. And he just said it on live TV. You know, I heard it when I got to CNN Center on Monday. These uh, went out of business. These duck dynasty ass motherfuckers coming out here for this. I was just, I, I am, I will never understand. Maybe if there are some hunting experts that listen to the show, who knows, could tweet me as to why you would wear head to toe camo, which is noted for blending you into a background and then a high visibility vest jacket to make you stand out from said background. Is it to give the appearance of levitating vests doing karaoke? Because if so, massive success. Massive success. Um, they were, I wrote my notes here. They Firstly, they plug, after antagonizing all the fans, they plug that the fans should show up in the morning because we're recording the official music video. Very excited about this. Um, they also then, as I've written here, dance around like fucking dorks and uh, lip sync to fuck. This is brilliant. Uh, and I, this is something I love. It's like Kurt Hennig, right? And this is to anybody that will criticize that man's body of work. Look, his body has betrayed him at this point. He is not the level he once was. In terms of him getting the business, he is such an accomplished professional wrestler that he got country music booed in the South during this. They are in the Cajun Dome and people are going mental booing this country Western song. They hate us. And oh. then, go oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, no, finish, finish, because my thought's completely separate. Oh, it, it finishes with the incredible line as Kurt Hennig is departing the stage where he turns back to the fans and goes, and I didn't lip sync either. I love that. That was so brilliant. It was so good. Um, so Henning said that they're recording this um, music video in Nashville, mm -hmm. home of country music. And it made me think we are just a few months away from J E double F J A double R E double T coming onto the screen. And obviously the folklore behind rap is crap is that it got played on country music stations. I've never confirmed that independently myself. Yeah. How much better is Kurt Henning doing 1994 Jeff Jarrett's gimmick than Jeff Jarrett did? Yeah. Is that like, is Jeff Jarrett sitting at home watching this going, I'll fucking show him. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold Vince up for money so yeah. that I can get the hell out of here. Um, I'd show them how it's done. I'm going to bring my balsa wood guitars and put it, put it learning on these fools. As you all will see, as you guys are going to see, Jeff Jarrett comes in and he does have a feud with Kurt Henning at the behest of the powers that be. Long term telling Let's give Vinnie Rue a little credit here. Yes, let, you, you you do not have to hand it to him, as Drill would say. Um, we got our first match of the show, uh, which was, as you've alluded to, Aaron, uh, an intriguing one, and that's Eddie Guerrero versus Psychosis. These two men are in the ring. I'm interested. Um, one thing that they were battling against in this match 
is that Eddie Guerrero was a conquering hero to the Cajun Dome. Uh, Eddie is so over. It was absolutely yeah. ridiculous. This is one of the stories in this period of time that I really liked because the announcers kind of put over the idea that Blair kind of talked the LWO out of existing when he took over WCW. And so they all just took off their shirts and they stopped being a unit. That's how that's, that's how it was killed off. Hmm. I think they might've got beat up by the NWO too. And now Eddie is back and he is beating the shit out of his former group members that yeah. dropped the cause. And I love that. Yeah. We're, we're just like, we're four years away from Kill Bill, but I feel like if he had his Kill List 5 and he's crossing off members of the LWO, it's like, I'm super into that. It does remain a bit maddening to me. I mentioned this on the show with Gara two weeks ago, that you have the, you know, let's skip around the circumstances of said car accident. But you have this incredible potential for a huge babyface narrative and the crowds clearly want to go with it. And I don't know how much of it is a case of, no, we'd already decided what we're doing with Eddie and none of these fan reactions are going to change our mind on that. Or whether it's a case of they're just completely tone deaf and they just had no idea what to do with Eddie. But it's like, ah, he's back. We'll just put him on fucking TV doing whatever. Um, because I think like you definitely could have done this thing where the LWO, former LWO guys are still heels and you could have this vengeance storyline where he's back and he's avenging the people who betrayed him and never looked after him while he was laid up in hospital as a baby face and it would work perfectly. Yeah, and half of them are, I think most of them are still heels. One thing I noticed through this and possibly something else to be recorded is this company loves heel versus heel matches. It's almost yeah. like they don't care what they book. That can't be the case. Yeah. I, I and, don't I don't picture Kevin Nash having a master list of who is a babyface at a heel. He just sees two names or he has a dartboard or some shit, like or a tombola where he's just pulling names out. Uh, I don't he's not he's not a stickler for continuity like Arlie Malone. It, it it would take him another eight years or so to really enjoy hanging around with cruiserweight wrestlers. That's understandable. Um, and clearly you can tell, because Psychosis is not the second person I would have Eddie fight in the gauntlet against the former LWO. Psychosis is obviously very near the top of the LWL power rankings. Oh, yes, absolutely. This is undeniable. Um, this, this match, uh, it kind of starts off like, you know, Eddie's back. He's got a lot of piss and vinegar about him. So, like, it starts pretty intense. Like, outside early doors. Eddie, to his credit, is trying his hardest to turn this crowd on him. And it's just not working. And I think, like, part of it, I like, I love psychosis. And this isn't me, like, hugely criticizing him or anything like that. But in terms of how he is viewed by WCW fans, which is WCW's fault... He's not such a baby face in peril that everybody has such emotional investment in that Eddie beating the piss out of him is going to be something that turns the crowd. They just cheered him more. It's like, yes, beat up that man. Please, Eddie, please do it for us. Um, He's like, he's even using the steel steps. He's taunting the crowd, but they're like, yeah, we love it. Um, Through a break and we get continued heat for our unintentional baby face. Uh, he throws psychosis out again. Uh, his whip into the rails gets reversed. Psychosis hits him with a drop kick, but then he's limping bad. Uh, we go back in, but Psychosis does so quite gingerly, which allows Eddie a chance to regain control. Uh, Eddie goes for a diving nothing, lands in an atomic drop. 
uh, drops him on the apron. Uh, a spin kick knocks Eddie to the floor. Does a split-legged moonsault to the outside. I don't know if you could pay me enough money to do a split-legged moonsault to the outside. Sorry. Like, a moonsault or even go outside. Yeah. I could, in my youth, when we used to do... Um, during the period... There was like... I don't know if it was a thing in the States or anywhere outside of Ireland, but it was a thing where if a child had a birthday party, if a child had a Holy Communion... It was a thing where you would rent a bouncy castle. Yeah. It was just, it was the done thing. It was just in the 90s. It's like, that's what you do. It's just like, it's as quintessential as the birthday cake. Um, no, that's a big thing down here, especially in like currently, like here in the South too, yeah. especially in Texas. Yeah. There are so many places that sell bouncy castles with like knockoff minions or knockoff. Yeah. What's another children's kid? Dora the Dora, Explorer. Yeah. Just, but it's like, you know, Snora the Memora or whatever. It's... Legally distinguished from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No copyright here. No copyright here. Yeah. So we would have that. And then what would happen is me and my mates would use either stepladders from the house or nearby sheds to perform aerial maneuvers into the bounty castle with safety. So I can say with confidence. That I could at one stage in my life do a senton and a moonsault. And uh, I once attempted a shooting star and it went poorly. Oh. <laughs> it was all it was all shoulder I landed on. Thank like thankfully on a bouncy castle and thankfully just shoulder. But it was like it gave me enough of a, a fright and kind of knocked me a little loopy that I was like, ah, I'm just probably not gonna do that again. I don't know what gave me the I suppose it's the confidence of youth that is like probably survive this when you when you, when you want a shooting star you imagine yourself as 96 kidman but you end up as 2006 kidman yeah and yeah. that just happens i will uh, tell a quick rib related mm -hmm. to high flying um if anyone who is a, a pw torch subscriber alan and i discussed my backyard wrestling career for 20 minutes because i made him yes. <laughs> and um i i did a mask gimmick half okay. the time just and one day someone else was going to do the mask gimmick for me. And he knew that I can't do any high flying because I am not athletic. So he put on my mask to play my character and proceeded to do swantons and moonsaults the whole match. While everyone on commentary said, can't wait for him to do that in the next match he has. And <laughs> I'm sitting here like, I hate you guys. <laughs> I am. Um, I don't know. Like I, in my kind of like childhood, yeah, bouncy castle wrestling exclusively. I don't know if I ever settled on a, a solid gimmick. I know when I was like doing creator wrestler stuff on on old video games, it was always um the one character I kept repeatedly creating was a guy named Hardcore with a K. Because one, it was the 90s, and two, it it was surprisingly one of the less cringy pre-generated names in WWF Attitude on the PlayStation. Um, so that's kind of what I rolled with. And then I would just like make iterations for several years of this character who wore like um, a black T-shirt with the sleeves cut off and jorts. So, look, I'm not saying Cena ripped me off, but I'm not saying he didn't. I know who Cena ripped off and I'm going to talk to you about that much later today. And my, what were my, my finishers were the unusual combination in these games of um not, well, the first one wasn't in WWF Attitude, but by no mercy, my finishes were the last ride and the Falcon Arrow. 
<laughs> Always been a big fan of the Falcon Arrow. Nobody kicks out of it. That's the thing. So, um, um, my finishers, uh, you, you, you could tell who I was a fan of because that's whose finisher I used. Mm. So I used a Texas Cloverleaf, but then a few years later, I started using a Key Crusher. So, um, I'll slip you some links later. I I have actually I told Lee this. I have a great Dean Malenko story that I haven't <gasps> told on the podcast yet. It's not a personal interaction with Dean Malenko, but the names will be removed uh, to protect the innocent in this. So I know of somebody who works for um, a large bookmakers. We will we will go no further than that. This bookmakers, as part of like a standing contract they had with a betting publication, as part of their kind of like promotion of the business, they would submit racing tips every week you know and there was like a deadline you know friday five o'clock we'll say for example you submit your article that has oh here are the hot bets for the weekend and um it was like they was done on a rotational basis everyone in the office had to do it one week so that nobody got stuck doing it all the time fair is fair one guy who was kind of new had to do it one week and he did it in a rush in the last couple of hours he was leaving work early so he went out of work the publication got back to him and they said, oh, sorry, because he's one of the new people, we don't have his photo on file to put beside the article. Um, could he take a photo and send it in to us? And they said, absolutely no problem. And they sent back a photo of Dean Malenko, which then got published in a national newspaper with this guy's name and a picture of a very stern looking Dean Malenko beside us. And it became a subject where like, the people involved in this rib got called into a very senior manager's office going, right, who sent the Dean Malenko picture? Because obviously no one over at this newspaper knew who Dean Malenko was. But then when it was published, it wasn't so much like they appreciated the rib, but they were like, you used a copyrighted image that now we have to pay for. <laughs> we're not happy about it. Um, it became a whole thing. So I was I was tickled to like the person I know, I've known them for years and they just never told me that story until like a week ago. And I wept. Love Dino Machino. Um, that has gotten us quite dramatically off the point in this match, but however. So yeah. atomic drop. Uh, we have split leg and moonsault to the outside. Top rope spin kick, then a Frankensteiner for two. Goes for a third time. Eddie sort of dodges the crossbody. He does the thing where it looks like he's going to sidestep it, but he, like, he half sidesteps and flapjacks psychosis. Um, then Eddie drags him by the horns, which I thought was a great bit. Uh, runs up, does a light but not fully committed version of the Eddie shimmy on the, the top rope, and then frog splash for the win. What do you think of this match? I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, I think all of Eddie's offense looked really good. Psychosis always looks really good. Um, I think there was a lot of legwork in this that I did appreciate. Yeah. In this match, I, I'm bad at taking notes on like actual moves because I write yeah. slow. Um, and I thought that was really good. I love when Eddie finishes with the frog splash to the back, especially if it's just in the... I'm not going to take the time to roll him over because this move will still hurt if I hit it on the back and yeah. I'll roll him over when he's dead. And so I really appreciated that. All the legwork, I kept waiting for the lasso from El Paso, but it's like, 
five years from that. Yeah. But you can see how, and you can kind of say this a little bit boring, like how more well-rounded Eddie is. He's really not like high-flying luchador style. No. He's just very, he's he's a little like Dean, but with charisma and a couple of flips. Yeah. And yeah. so this was really good. I just wish that this was like on the pay-per-view. This yeah. would have been one of the things to open that pay-per-view instead of what you actually get, which I'm very excited about. And they probably would have gotten like an additional five to seven minutes on pay-per-view. And like, I feel like it's one of those where it's not that they didn't put in a shift, but it was just that they knew the limitations of opening match on Thunder. They knew where they were on the card. They knew how long they had. And they left a lot undone that they, they could easily do. And yeah, Eddie is a guy who just like, one of the reasons he's one of the absolute best ever is that when you watch him, even this, like this is a second match back from months out injured. And you look at the guy and you're like, this man puts together a match like no one's business. Like there is no wasted motion. And even on your point about the frog splash, something I I thought about before, but maybe hadn't verbalized is that the frog splash to the back is great for the reasons you describe, but also I love it because it's almost like he has this not quite super finisher, but like a, a kind of like a slightly more painful looking version of the finisher that requires no extra effort on his part. He's hitting it exactly the same. But like you said, it's either deliberately or because he's not arsed rolling them over. Um, and that is another example of I am adding what to fans will look like an increased element of physicality and danger in my match, but I'm not actually doing anything different. It's an incredible like sleight of hand uh, in the ring. And it's, it's just one of those little things, little thing that he might have for the first time even done accidentally. And it's just this thing now that just adds to the lore of how great this man is. Um, just, just, I never have a bad time watching Eddie. There's always something interesting to take from it. In, in a sport where like, basic moves are always dropping people on their back and of course eddie has a lot of the different backbreakers just from the lucha style mm-hmm. um the frog splash to the back is a great way of adjusting his finisher to working over that body part and yeah of like an actual submission you can still mm-hmm. pay off that body work it's just it's too bad that this match wasn't a little more 50 50 but it also with the leg work and everything took away a lot of probably what psychosis was going to do because he was doing a much more selling of the leg than i thought he would Mm. But it also meant you didn't get like full psychosis, but this was about putting Eddie over, which is great. The other thing that stuck with me is like, I expected Eddie to be more jacked. Now he is pretty jacked here. Yeah. But like I'm when I think about like jacked Eddie, I think like I just beat Brock 2003 yeah. Eddie, Austin at the gills and he's not here, yeah. but he, he just looks like he's in shape and I don't know what he does in WCW until the Filthy Animals, and that's still like three or four months away. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see where he goes or what he does or doesn't do. It's an interesting one because we, me and Garrett talked the last episode about how how huge he looked, but I guess it's like not a, it's not an issue of definition. Like I said, he'd look more cut and look more vascular later on, like around the yeah around the Brock time. Um, but the thing that astonishes me even in this is the width. Like that, you look at that man's shoulders, like from from behind, like that man is just like his, the the square footage that he covers is increasing week on week. Uh, And that is like, I mean, I was going to say it's a, it's a mystery, but it's not really, Uh, but it is, it is quite amazing. Nonetheless, 
just you know doing lats in the gym just, just vitamins and prayers my friends vitamins and prayers um we've got flair iron and gormless idiot david flair backstage uh with asia and evan courageous the, this is quite a summit of of humanity here um so it's 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 back to the and this is one of those things where like one of the uh, a thing i don't care for in this period of wcw is that there are storylines that they kind of ebb in and out of that they they kind of like it feels like they've dropped or finished and then like a few weeks later it's like almost like somebody remembers oh fuck we're doing this with this guy and i was like okay let's do this so there was a while last month where we were doing the thing where david flair was having matches and flair with rick flair was trying to fix them and that kind of went away when the piper stuff happened at the pay-per-view we all forgot about it and now it's just back and it's it's also never been interesting because it's the same segment every time. Just like sometimes Asia's in the room, sometimes Aaron's in the room. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I think you you mean uh, RVVP? Yes, of course, RVVP. Yes. How how uh, could I forget? He's not here this week. I think he had more sense. Uh, uh yeah, outrageous Evan Courageous. Uh, don't don't ever forget his name is outrageous. Yes. It's it's on his gear, and you know he's outrageous because uh, he has braids. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I these storylines, I always hate them so much, but I I like that Flair essentially is doing the what I'm sure many other wrestlers have been told for reals in saying, Evan, I'm paying you for the TV exposure. You get to be on TV. Just take the dive. There's something, as somebody who's been, like, adjacent to media over the years, there's something of a, like, this is too close to the bone for me to enjoy a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's the exposure, you know? You're getting getting on TV. What's there to complain about, Evan? God, just get with the program. As like, never mind that, like, no, what he's actually arguing about is the holy mortifying shame of losing to this skinny gobshite. Um, but yeah, he wants to go seven and oh. I did appreciate the one line that did make me laugh was Rick saying, you know, that Goldberg. <laughs> he's like, yeah, well, like 160, we're gonna beat that. And I was like, I could not imagine how long it's going to take to do 154 more of these segments. Where you're fixing matches with wrestlers. Oh, uh, get out. I almost like it's one of those kind of anti comedy things where if they like, it's almost like something Tim Heidecker would do. It's like commit to the bit so hard, a bit that's so unfunny in its premise that by like time 100 or 120, I would be like, I would be broken brain, roaring, laughing at all this. But sadly, they don't. I, it sadly, it gave me the thought that like, oh, yeah the best possible ending to this David Flair angle would be for Goldberg to come out and murder him before he even reaches 10 yeah. and take the U.S. title. Um, that, I mean, obviously that doesn't happen. Yeah, if it's like as soon as he invokes Goldberg, that's Goldberg's return from filming Universal Soldier. And he's like, take your name out of my mouth and he just folds David Flair into a pretzel and kicks him into space. Brilliant segment. Would be amazing. Um. We get a Team Madness flashback, the stuff with Sting running in to save the baby faces, and then Luger coming in to save Sting from the Madness. Luger, who then, like, just vanishes from proceedings for the rest of it. Like, he's just never mentioned again. But he's here somewhere, I guess. Um, Kevin Nash with a unique combination of green shirt and sweat patches. It becomes a... Um, 
it becomes a running bit on the show. So I think it's Flair mentions his promo later on. It's real fucking hot in this building tonight. Um, and Kevin Nash is showing it soaked. Like he, he's he's Dwayne Johnson in a Fast and Furious movie. He is drenched coming out here. Um, what have you, or what have you made of like I suppose the Nash run, such as it is so far, but like the Nash as Booker Man period. Um, okay, so I, I have a note here about that recap segment, yes. and I don't know if you noticed, but I felt like they were putting the thunder-lightning transition not between scenes, but between literal pieces of dialogue, because yeah. Sting would be like, yeah, you know, Nash, I have a problem with you. Well, Sting, I'm going to have a problem with you. That's my Kevin Nash. I don't know. It's yeah. really... Uncanny. Um, Kevin I Nash don't... has entered the chat. I... Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I click this. Um, I I don't know what to think about this. I know Nash would say he was definitely not booking at this time. And honestly, all those down periods, he did not book. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you know, everyone. It was everyone else who wanted him to beat Goldberg, obviously. Yeah. You know, he wanted to, you know, that was, yeah. So, no, I, I, I hate this. Um, I hate this so much. And for someone who, like, very much thinks he's cool and thinks about his image of being cool, I still remember the septic angle, mm. which, as being like, you don't look cool, bro. Yeah. Like, this is not cool. Like, doing anything with poop isn't cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Life lessons on Days of Thunder, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Pro tip there yeah. for all you kids. If you're going to put that on your dating profile, take it off. No yeah. one wants to, to know that. Okay. Um, yeah, I just don't like it. Um, and I don't know why him and Savage are feuding, but I have a, a thought. Because I wondered why Nash is going after him so hard. So yeah. let me lay this out for you. Let me know okay. what you think. Survivor Series 1993. Great starting gambus. Okay. Randy Savage replaced Mr. Perfect on Razor Ramon's team mm-hmm. against a team that included Shawn Michaels and a young Kevin Nash going by the moniker of Diesel at that time. Kevin Nash was eliminated from that match by Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, it so all makes sense. Nash is issuing challenges to matches and he's coming at him so hard. Ugh. I mean, attacking him so much is because he wants to avenge that pinfall loss title be damned okay so uh an aaron quinn exclusive kevin nash greatest booker in the history of professional wrestling you've heard it here first if there's one thing you take away from the podcast it's that (laughs) he's uh it's one of those things where like when you know you were saying that uh you know he would dispute whether he was booking or not at this period like i would certainly dispute whether he could ever said to be actually booking this company because it definitely seems to like freewheel onto the air very much. And at best, it's a like a randomizer dartboard approach to things. Um, But it's not, it, it remains a truism of the man's career that the only times that Kevin Nash doesn't look cool is when he's trying to look cool. It's like when he actually doesn't give a shit or like now when he's just like, you know, a uh, cool podcast uncle who's like slightly wine drunk all the time. Uh, Everyone's like, yeah, you're kind of rad. But like when the guy is trying to be super cool, like here where he's like, I'm just trying to look like I'm the the, the coolest world champion that ever lived in his big dorky sweaty shirt. 
Um, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't do anything for me. Um, I like it's one of the it's tough because I like Kevin Nash. And if you ask me, I would say I think Kevin Nash is a cool person. But if anyone else was playing this character exactly like him at this time, I'd say this is the biggest fucking dweeb on this entire TV show. He sucks. Get him out of here. Um, so I'm trying to divorce one from the other. He has this weird kind of marble mouth promo about how like three years have passed since the arrival of the Outsiders. And even though he's the champ, he's still considered an outsider, which is the silliest statement that man has maybe ever made. And that's that takes some doing. Um, WCW does not want him to have this belt. Macho can't beat him for it. And he knows Sting is he knows for a fact, he says, that Sting is on their side and that he was driving the Hummer. It's like the whole company is currently centered around the fact that absolutely nobody knows. And I would argue very few people actually care who was driving the Hummer. And he's like, no, I know. Like he's fucking dusted for Prince and go, oh, I found no Prince, but gloves. Um, He said he's not giving WCW the belt to put on. And this should have been a gimmick name for Sting. Little franchise boy. Um, if Savage wants it, he'll have to pry it from his dead hands. Uh, very poor promo. Um, almost completely again, it's going to be a tag team match, and he spent more time talking about Sting than he did Sid in this. Where I think, like, if you're going to do if you're committed to doing the stupid fucking tag team match, surely a lot of what the baby faces should be doing is uh, establishing the level of threat that Sid brings to things about how, like, you know. Oh, match like you know. I was the I I got out of I survived with my title because of a disqualification at the pay per view. But you know, now I'm worried these guys are coming for me. And you've seen the damage that Sid can do, that Sid has been doing. You know, I'm worried, but I'm the champ. And again, pride from my cold dead hands, etc. Uh, I, I thought a, a a misguided promo to say the least. Not his best. Um, you know, I can understand Nash not wanting to involve himself with Sid. The last time they had a program, Sid, you know, her, broke his elbow pretty bad yeah. at whatever in your house that was. Mm-hmm. But if I could propose, I don't know if um, you and Lee have talked about it at all, but ways to make the Hummer angle better or at least funnier. Mm. Okay. Okay, go for it. I, firstly, I would like to say, I, I believe I had the privilege of giving you the breaking news as to who was supposed to be behind the Hummer this week in the, the Discord. You did. You did. And I- in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club 
You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the Slap Pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great Slap Packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club Slap Packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three in one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Another great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys, reach in my pocket, or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. 
I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock. E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. walking out of a Walmart I was walking across a parking lot to a GameStop and I had my earbuds in and I heard the name Carmen Electra and I just went what <laughs> and that would have been amazing because okay. Carmen Electra is tied to Dennis Rodman who later yeah. would feud with Randy Savage you yeah. can put it all together there, there's I, like there's like this bit where you're like there's like half second visceral reaction of that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard and then it's followed by a rush of actually that would have rocked that would have been amazing yeah so, so Nash suspects that Sting was driving the Hummer. Clearly, the idea the idea should have been Randy Savage hired NWO Sting to drive the Hummer into Kevin Nash. Yes, yes. And pulled the same fast one on him. Perfect. I would also like to tag that up with that there would be a follow-up angle where they try to frame him for another assault, and this time I would like to see Randy Savage dressed in the Sting makeup doing it. I think that would be incredible. <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> Trench coat and all. Um, he, could, he could do like the woo, yeah, instead of the oh, yeah, it'd be perfect. It'd be perfect. Uh, yeah, like the, yeah. the idea of someone with as distinct a voice as Randy Savage trying to do someone else's voice would be uh, high comedy. High comedy. Ash impersonated Sting once and fooled everyone. Yeah. So I, I think Sid could also dress up as Sting and fool everyone. Look, we're just, we're just coming out with these great ideas. Uh, I'm also all for, you know, gender equality. I wouldn't mind, you know, misting 99. <laughs> all three, all three of the women as various stings. Like you could present eras of sting. Oh, oh great. Yeah, Medusa's already like bash 90 sting anyway with all the USA gear. And Randy said, be like, oh, yeah, these are my little stingers. <laughs> You could do like you could have one of the women as as like crow sting, but then you could do like the other two as the Blade Runners. <laughs> That'd be incredible! Oh, it writes itself. It writes itself. Um, next up we have a tag team match: Chris Benoit and Perry Saturn versus Dave Taylor and Fit Finley. The team I am dubbing the Good Friday Agreement. Oh, I like that. I like that. I came up with a name with for them also. Oh, excellent. Go for it. Okay. So my, okay. UK listeners, I'm sorry, by the way. <laughs> oh, I love but a good I, nickname I, that starts with a disclaimer. I called them Fit and Chips. Oh, that's good. Oh, I was right there. Actually, if there had been a world in which Fit Finley and Chocolate Chip Mitten could have been a tag team. Holy shit. Oh, I need to, I need to, I have some chipment and stuff to talk to you about if, because I got deep into chipment and heel run last week where he was like an, an evil heel that used a big splash as a finisher. And he was coming out being like, I'm Mr. World-Class Chipminton. And it's like only on worldwide. Oh it's gosh. so good. 
I uh I am now just thinking of if I cared about the man one jot and I don't, I now would be I now have the pitch to save Bobby Fish's career if Chip Minton is willing to dust off the boots. But I don't want to help him out. Oh, no. I want to help fun. him out. Keep him with Fit Finley. <laughs> um but yeah, so we got this tag team. Benoit has the has this like trope of his that uh, almost every tag match I've watched him in in this WCW run, it just starts off with him running wild, and you know I'm fine with that. Um, it properly rattles um Team Dad. Um, it settles then into a regular rhythm of like this was just one of those where all four guys they saw who they were wrestling on the sheet and they were like this is going to be an enjoyable night at the office. So like it's not a spectacular match by any stretch of the imagination but they're just kind of having fun you know freewheeling around the ring just like stretching and chopping and just doing like solid if unremarkable tag work and and I kind of enjoyed it what did you think of it uh yeah I thought this was a pretty good match this had the vibe of we're gonna have the best match dot 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 on this house show yeah and you could tell i have a note here this is great insight that you're hearing here on a days of thunder saturn and benoit are good yes and so <laughs> what i really like when two people are smushed together because i still don't quite get i i kind of understand but i kind of don't at this point why benoit and malenko just don't tag together again um, I mean, granted, it gives us the the great team we see later yeah. tonight. Um, the the new vicious and delicious. Yeah. But I I do like them as a team, and you can kind of see clearly that they know they're going to be teaming for a while because they're doing some double teams. Yeah. And they haven't figured out how to wear the same color gear yet, so I hope they work on that before the pay per view. But I thought the heat segment was a little too long, but otherwise, yeah, this was a solid match. If yeah. WCW released like Coliseum videos mm. uh, of just matches, this would be a, a fine match on a comp tape that you would enjoy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I do think one thing I would with the, the Malengo elements um, is I would like to, if I like, had 20% more work ethic, I would probably take a super cut of all those times that they came out and Dimalenko was kind of standing on the stage looking at them from a distance, like super cut all that together with Careless Whisper playing as like they exchanged longing glances at one another. I think that would be great. Um, I did chuckle looking back on it with 2023 uh, eyes there was a moment in this match where Larry is going to his new favorite talking point, which is that the young guys don't deserve to be pushed further up in this company. And he, the example he uses to describe why young guys are never going to make it is to talk about a golf game at the weekend where this young kid that's not up to much lost. And that kid's name, Tiger Woods. Like that is an incredible pick in hindsight. Never going to make it that guy. Never heard from him again. Larry is very detrimental to this angle because he's he has spent the whole NWO era being like like the number two babyface and defender of WCW like he was more yeah. successful against the NWO than even Sting mm -hmm. but when he talks about the young wrestlers he goes to his well, you know the young and the useless 
and you know athletics is wasted of the young and you know i murdered bruno back in the 80s you know mike and i have a hard time when i see in the ring and they're talking about young guys chris benoit who debuted in what 89 or 90 like he's not an up-and-comer no he's Um, been around for a bit and so yeah i also i'm it upsets me that dean isn't more involved in this jersey triad versus malink which is benoit saturn feud yeah because they're at a three two disadvantage benoit obviously has an established tag team partner who would even the numbers and he's he would rather hang out with buff for some reason which i I mean marcus might be more fun to hang out with yeah yes the nights out are are going to be of different qualities that's that's for sure oh i just Um, came up with that team better write that down. <laughs> I, I think this uh I think this ends in a disjointed way where Saturn goes to dispose of Finley. Um so oh, sorry, Taylor has an advantage, but then Saturn hoists him up and hits a DVD. As Saturn then goes to uh dispose of Finley, Benoit hits a headbutt and pins Taylor, um, where neither had been legal. Um so it was a disjointed finish to a solid match. Um and then just as I thought, you know, I was starting to type up that this segment was over. Darren from HR shows up. Uh, there is there is no company this man won't show up in. Regal is back all of a sudden, unprompted. It, again, one of those things that like we were talking about early on in the show in terms of like timelines. Did not remember this. Did not remember this one bit. Um, I don't know how long he's back for. <laughs> it's not very long. He's not. No, he is not back for long at all. Um, it's like because it's, it's like end of '99, start of 2000. He's already like back doing the the William Regal bit in WWF. He's doing the real man's man thing by October, I think. Okay, so yeah, he's this is a like a Mikey Whipwreck level coffee stop. Also, yeah. Also, I mean, this is like that Lincoln. You, it's like he came in in a car with Public Enemy, who also has a return cup of coffee mm. in this period. Also. It's an interesting one because like it, we always think of ECW as the company that people stopped in in between stops. I was like, there's a couple of occasions here where it's like it's less that it's somebody stopping in between one company and the other and more that like with Mikey and with Regal in particular, it's like they are taking sojourns from the company they're in going to WCW and they go, oh, fuck this going right back. Um, <laughs> So, um. Yes, I did find it funny that uh, in the late 90s, uh, somebody that does not get credit for keeping the peace in Northern Ireland is Stephen Regal. Um, and the history should reflect that. Um, Nature Boy and Asia are out next. He's complaining about the heat, which I think is really funny. Um, he he talks, it was weird because he like he almost kind of semi-buries himself. He talks about how the people here are so stupid they don't recognize him if he's not wearing a suit. Um he announces uh, at Bash at the Beach because they're going, they're going fucking tag team crazy in this company at the moment. It's Paige and Bigelow versus Benoit and Saturn. I mean, like, it's a good match on paper. I'm, I'm having it. Um, he, he does the thing that I absolutely, of all people in this company, I hate that Ric Flair does this: the picking fights with people in the crowd, because like this is a guy who is like notoriously one of the great promos of all time and it's such cheap heat and it doesn't even work I am actually going to disagree Ooh. because I consider 
Ric Flair looking at the crowd and picking out one person and going, hey, fat boy, is pretty classic Ric Flair. And Look. I've always, as far as engaging the lie, and we can disagree on this for sure, mm -hmm. but I've always found picking out that one person in the crowd and addressing them singularly yeah. is very engaging to the crowd because mm -hmm. they look at that person, they wonder if they could be next, yeah. and it lets the crowd know that you're paying attention to them and not yeah. just the TV camera. Yeah, I take so that. that way, yeah. the The thing with the the way Ric Flair's dressed is just it's, it isn't Ric Flair. I think he has a really good point. I don't know during this whole period, and really like once you get past like ninety three or so, once Hogan comes in. That Ric Flair of like the $10,000 suit, diamond Rolex watches, fancy sunglasses, Learjet riding, it just kind of goes away. And polo khaki pants Ric Flair looking like my high school, Catholic high school math teacher is not Ric Flair. And yeah. so you can kind of start to see it. And I think maybe he, that's a real thing he's talking about, I feel like. You're seeing Richard Fleer talking for a second there, not Ric Flair. Yeah, he definitely does have that in his locker, the 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 kind of the, the victimizing, like, one person in the crowd stuff. I just think, like, maybe it's just that I think, like, from a, I suppose as somebody who's, like, a huge fan of, of, of stand-up and stuff like that, like, I come from, like, I have that mentality of just, like, it's the easy it's it's the easy route whereas like there are so but I, I guess like you're very right is that like since hogan's been in the last year like he just doesn't have it in him anymore so like maybe wow. this is what he's got you know um this whole night like i know you guys mentioned in the last episode they're putting over that he beat buck that buck beat him yeah so much and i'm glad they're doing it like two weeks later it would almost make you think because flair got the pin on him um, I think on another uh, Nitro, mm -hmm. you would almost think that they were building to the third match at the pay-per-view. But yeah. then I went to double check what the pay-per-view match is. <laughs> Dear God, it is definitely not Ric Flair versus Buff in a singles match. Oh. It is something much better. Oh, good. Better in a like a legit way or better in a WCW way? Well, I think like my opinion is a legitimate and I think I'm a valid person. Um, so, you know, um, I was going to say trans people matter. And, uh, so respect. But uh, it's, it's, it's good in an errand way. Okay. And you can, you can take that for what it's worth. Yes. The, depending on people's understanding of your brand and your interest in wrestling, that would be in a number of different things. Anyone can go to um, at Miss Erin Quinn, M-S-E-R-I-N-Q-U-I-N-N -N, on Twitter.com um, and follow for more of and to get a sense of where I stand yes. on wrestling. Uh, the the flair promo segment ends weird with him screaming, turn the power on. <laughs> like it's proper granddad lost his slippers and can't see in the dark. <laughs> what was this about what was happening here he just took leave of his senses and started screaming turn the power on it's one of those like I can't believe I haven't seen that in more like weird promo comps on YouTube the turn the power on bit I laughed and I laughed uh, our next match Lenny Lane with Lodi versus Kurt Hennig with uh, Barry Windham Big Bob Come and Kendall Windham um, and again, this is another point in this show where I wrote, are they just pulling names out of a bucket? 
<laughs> no, there's like, a reason this match is happening. Yes, yes. Would you this like is, to know? Go for it. There's a legitimate. Oh, also, I have a joke from the last thing, real yes. quick. Um, at one point, Gene starts the promo by confusingly talking about the Louisiana Purchase being forty cents an acre. <laughs> And I said, huh, because that's pretty close to what Vince bought this company for per like hour of TV footage. It was like the Louisiana purchase of professional wrestling, wasn't it? Yes. It's harrowing. Lenny Lane and Kurt Henning is kind of the brawl of St. Paul too, because they are both Minnesota natives. This Ah. is 80s generation Minnesota prodigy versus a wrestler from the 90s who also came from Minnesota. I feel like you and Lee would be an incredible a tag team of lore discovery. Like the did, way Did you know that Lenny Lane for a while had like a wrestling party business? Like you could hire him and have like a part a wrestling theme party for yourself? I am both incredibly surprised and not surprised at all by this. I'll I'll see if I can find you the website. It's like the um you remember that um god oh, there's that 30 for 30 about the the mobster's son that ran a hockey team and like there's a there's a scene in it where it's like oh uh, for one of his birthday parties growing up like we got a bunch of wrestlers to come to it. I was like oh it's a bunch of indie dudes and it was like the rock and china and a bunch of like actual established wwf stars at this mobster kids birthday it's the weirdest thing i've ever seen anyway um it's i i wrote it seems excessive to bring a small army of hicks to wrestle lenny it seems like it might be i think kurt hennig's got this given their relative promotions on the card it's um it's the weird um thing you seldom see in wrestling that it's a slow squash match you know it it go it goes on for for quite a while longer than they maybe needed to for the point to be established but they do it nonetheless in fairness to them um they where am i here yes um so hennig this is something again and the all-timer of a heel Kurt hennig maybe ha- is on the mount rushmore of smug faces in wrestling he he does smug like it's an art form. Um, this match ends uh, unusually with Lodi throwing in the towel. Um, the bell rings. Lodi gets in the ring and gets a hennigplex for his trouble. And then the dorks do an encore dance. Uh, if you didn't get enough of their concert earlier on, and they celebrate this absolutely huge victory. Um. Today, that in classic WCW fashion, after this like awkward squash match. Tanae then throws to a replay that doesn't happen and then has to go, oh, uh, yeah, I guess we're not doing that. Uh, we're going to go to a break. Um, brilliant. First-class broadcasting. God bless. Poor Mike Tanae. Only the best. Um, I actually really enjoyed this. Oh. Because it was, it was fun. I think it's more like a sigh of relief as someone who likes Kurt Henning mm. after what was just kind of a disastrous 98 where he's just... I don't remember him doing anything good, even when he was in there with Bret Hart. It was he least, sad. He was it's having, fun. like, in this, he's having fun. Yeah. He isn't as crisp as he used to be, but at least as a, and he's not bumping like he used to, but why bump like you used to for Lanny Lane? But yeah. he's hitting him around, throwing him around. At least it looks like he's enjoying himself. Yeah. So. There is total, that. 
And then, yeah, you mentioned Lodi throws in the towel. Um, they're really pushing that angle a lot on multiple shows. So hopefully nothing happens that would cause them to cancel that angle. I'm sure they'll see it through to its natural conclusion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, next up, we got a uh, team madness are here. Uh, match tells Nash that no known member of team madness was the driver. Uh, it is like, I just, anytime I'm getting, as time goes on here, I am getting immensely triggered by the word Homer. Like I am every time it comes up, I'm like, I don't fucking care. I don't care. And the other thing is it's one of these, actually an interesting parallel is to the current like main event pay-per-view push in AEW where it's like they keep doing these segments and the crowd are telling you they don't give a shit and you're just doing them anyway and it's like the crowd like maybe for the first week are like ooh the Hummer but they're already over it now like they're tuning out as soon as Hummer mystery starts and I'm I'm seeing more and more promos where people are having to win the crowd back over after Hummer talk uh, which is quite interesting but he does the, it might be Hall, it might be Sting, it might be both of them. Every single one of them, by the way, dressed as Sting in my headcanon now. Um, he hands Sting the sizzling microphone, or sorry, he hands the sizzling microphone to the best big man in wrestling, Sid Vicious, who, when he says best big man in wrestling, it immediately drew my eye to realizing Sid Vicious is not that much bigger than Randy Savage. Um, he says, tonight, the pain Buff and Malenko will feel forever. People will absorb into their minds what happens if you mess with them. Simply put, they are the masters. And Matt says there's no way out for Big Sexy. One thing I liked about this promo is there was a second where when Sid got the microphone, very contrite and polite Sid came out and basically did like, oh, thank you very much, as he got the microphone. And I was like, oh, is this going to be like a low-key talking Sid promo? And then he immediately starts screaming as loud as he can. <laughs> so... Um, one, I I actually really like conceptually these two being paired together is just a really cool idea, yeah. like character wise. Also, of course, I think they've always wanted to team together because the 1991 Survivor Series was originally going to feature um, Randy Savage team against Jake Roberts team. Mm. But then some stuff happened. Wait. I got that wrong. Okay, but they were definitely connected because Sid was going to be on a team with Bossman against Jake Roberts and his team. Okay. But then something else happened and Randy Savage stepped in. So yeah. they've been kind of helping each other. They helped each other around that time frame. And you know they've wanted to come together since then. And something about the that I think only Tony accidentally stumbled onto on Nitro about the it's the madness and the psycho. He mentions it offhandedly. I was like, how how would you not take that and run with it? Like it, it hasn't been met, it wasn't mentioned before or since that offhanded, half-tuned out Tony comment. But you know, whatever. Maybe there's maybe there's copyright stuff and they've been subject to enough lawsuits at this point already in 1999. Um, I'm a lot of shame for jumbling up Survivor Series lore in my head, but Survivor Series 91 is a, a mess of substitutions. So mm. Um, our singles match that was teased earlier on is up next. Evan Courageous versus David Flair with Aaron Anderson, Asia, and Ric Flair. David is stripped to the waist, black pants, and walking out to his dad's music trying not to cry. There has never, like... The thing is, I go back and forth 
so much on how intentionally pathetic they're trying to make him look. Because the more I think they're trying to intentionally make him look like a fucking idiot, the more I'm like, this is brilliant. But then every so often I'm like, I think they're actually trying to get him over as a heel. Uh, and like trying to make him look like he's not the biggest idiot in the world. And, and then I'm kind of like, oh, this is bad. Um, but this was one where I'm just like, no, this this week I was on board with like, he's kind of slightly greased up as well. <laughs> in his black pants. It's like, it's one of the worst looks a professional wrestler has ever had, if you could call him that at this stage. There is, because I, I, I don't think anything happening here is because David is doing something intentionally. I do think that everyone around him has realized yes. that there is no charisma here. But if we just make the the storyline in theory has the like makings of a parody of every booker that's pushed their kid, even if their kid wasn't good. Yeah. And so like if they did that and were a little more like smart about it, it could be really fun. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have done this with the U.S. title. I think yeah. that's too much of a. You could do this with like the TV title, hmm. um, but nothing is happening here because David knows what's happening. Yeah, he is things happen around around David. Also, for th just the thing, the little mention of Sid when he gets past the mic made me think three today. <laughs> and. I want James Gunn to write lines for Sid to play <laughs> off other characters because he would be like a more intense Drax at some point. And I think it would be wonderful. That is a, a peek into a parallel universe that I'm equally horrified and fascinated by. Uh, I I think, yeah, that the, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there about David, though, that like, Everybody else around him knows what's up. And if the storyline was everyone around him knows what's up, but he doesn't. Like, I liked, there was a week where they did a thing where it didn't seem like David was in on the fact these guys were throwing the match. And I that angle was kind of interesting. But now, like, he's literally, and maybe maybe the, uh, like, the, the subtle piece of storytelling is that even though he's in the room when these matches are being fixed now, he's still too stupid to know that that's what's happening. I'd appreciate that. The other thing I love about this angle this week that had me roaring laughing was I was thinking about this match and the in kayfabe reason for stuff. I was like, why is, in storyline, why is Ric Flair allowing these matches to happen in a way where 75% of it is these guys just beating the dog shit out of David Flair? Like, surely you could, if you were fixing these matches, you could do finger poke a doom. Like every time you just go like, just, just get in bell rings, take a dive, one, two, three, if everyone's in on it. But this is like, he's letting his son get beaten half to death. And then the guy just takes a bump. <laughs> well, to be fair, to Flair, hmm. David did like, didn't he turn on him this year? Uh, oh, I can't remember if it's, if it, creeps into 2000 before the turn it's no, yeah it's... when he met with tory yeah David oh he oh of... sorry yes he has already turned on him once but i thought yeah i thought you were talking about the future time that flair is like i'm gonna let him get beat up for a while yeah yeah 
Yeah. And he would be vindicated because, as I just mentioned, like he would turn on him again eventually. And now thinking, he like, has no reason to. Yeah, he's already like he's already turned on him again by the reset nitro. Um it, yeah. I, I love that it's not we have to figure out when David turn, we have to figure out which David turn. David turn. The, the big show of world championship wrestling. Um, um are you are you going to turn on me as a as a as a David? Oh yes, that that's it's in our DNA. So at some at some point, I will have the stun gun, and okay. you're 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 just going to have to take the pin. The move, the move or the weapon. <laughs> I I don't know which David could deliver more awkwardly because this we'll talk about it in a second. But the stun gun spot in this match was the most like. I don't think this guy knew what a stun gun was. He was just like, I have to hold this and gesture it in the general direction of this man. I, I don't think WCW knew what a stun gun is. I am grateful that um, when Don't Tase Me Bro was a meme, WCW was not in business mm. because that would Goldberg would have had another loss, I'm sure. So um, this was just, I don't know if Evan Courageous is a heel, but um, yeah, this, this was a bad match. Yeah. It was nothing, and like I can't put it down. Like Courageous is obviously green at this point, but look what he was working with here. Um, I wrote, "This is where I had bit the in storyline. Why does Rick let these guys beat the dog fuck out of David? Although, wouldn't we all?" Um, Aaron makes the signal, which is like the cutthroat signal for uh, Courageous to to drop. Uh, he doesn't do it. He's ignoring it. Flair gets up on the apron. He's incensed. Flair gets up to distract the ref. Asia distracts Courageous. David gets the stun gun, does the most awkward stun gun spot of all time, and then wins with a figure four pass out. Um, yeah, the less said about this, the better. I think we'll just we'll just move on and purge it from our brains. Um, speaking of purge it from our brains, uh, we've got Hugh Morris with Jimmy Hart versus Van Hammer. And after that last match, when this started, I just wrote, fuck me. <laughs> Uh, I got controversial opinions coming up, but go ahead. Oh, I feel like do you know what I had? I had two parallel thoughts when this, when I knew this was coming up next. Because again, I mentioned it before. My note taking process is like I just go to the match card page on um, Cage Match and I copy the matchup so that it's kind of like separated in my notes, and then I type in in between each match. And uh, as soon as I copied and pasted that in, I had the the parallel thoughts of "fuck me" and. Aaron's going to love this match. I love this match. <laughs> okay. Do you want to, uh, do you want to take the captain's chair and walk us through this Matt classic? Um, I am, I, I'm not good at taking move for move notations because there weren't that many watch... in this match. So you're fine. Oh, no, there were a lot of moves and they were cool, <laughs> but I wanted to, I wanted to watch this just sitting on my couch. So I use my little uh, erasable notebook. Mm-hmm. So feel free to take us through the match. And then I have some very, hot takes okay i have a feeling the tone of my notes and your notes will be entirely different but let's go for it um we get a uh we get a line during the entrances here where jerry flynn has joined the first family this week uh and it just reminded me of the norm mcdonald all the stars are here meme <laughs> it's like oh guess who's in the first family now it's jerry flynn lightning foot um morris starts off by battering van hammer uh with a trash can lid, slamming him through the trash can, which always I, I always appreciate the slamming into the trash can and it crumbles up like tinfoil. Um, <laughs> this is this is the point at which my frustration with these two started to show. So I wrote up top, 
he stumbles off the top rope like an asshole and walks into a lid shot to the face. Uh, then we get a leg drop on the lid on his head. Hammer then puts on his jacket and does a move that I'm dubbing the rhinestone lariat, where he's got like his, he because he's a cool heavy metaler again. So he's got a leather jacket he's been wearing out with rhinestones on it. Um, and it was very funny because until there was a close-up shot, Tanay and Larry were perplexed by what what item could be on this jacket. Larry was more than halfway through alleging that it was chainmail um, before the rhinestones became apparent in the close-up shot. Hammer goes for a, a ladder, and I did laugh at him nonchalantly throwing the ladder in over the ring. Didn't care where it bounced to. Uh, whip reversal into a ladder and I just said I am trying so hard to focus and literally cannot uh, Jimmy and a table are now both in the ring uh, Morris signals for the no laughing matter moonsault he puts hammer on the table Flair comes out again I think he's just been I think he might have gotten heat stroke and he's just wandering around the building shouting at people you know turn the lights on and then he comes out whoa Jimmy Hart whoa 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 Jimmy Hart uh, and he's just decided arbitrarily in the middle of the match, in the middle of a show, I am banning hardcore wrestling. And Hugh Morris, of all people, to stand up to Ric Flair, just says, get the hell out of my match. And he goes, okay, you want hardcore, you got it. So Hammer runs them over with a table like a Mack truck and then front suplexes Morris through a table. And it's really funny because he's like, you want hardcore, you've got it. But then he's also still screaming, I'm banning hardcore. As this segment ends, there's no pin. That's just the end of the match. He goes through the table. That's the end of the match. And Flair then gets escorted out of the building. And I'm just like, oh, he's getting escorted out of the building. Wait, he runs this place. Like the like Doug Dillinger works for him. What's he doing? Um, but you uh, you saw a different match, Aaron. I'm I'm taking it. I saw a, a great match. So. Um, <laughs> One, I am so pumped for um, the first family. Mm -hmm. They're so great, especially this version of the first family. Um, I, while I'm talking about this match, uh, Dave, I'm going to send you uh, just a couple of pictures of the first family throughout the years. Okay. So you can just kind of get an idea how our current incarnation, who are going to be around way more than you're comfortable with, yeah. For the rest yeah. of 1999. I mean, I'm already pretty uncomfortable with this. <laughs> Don't worry. So the this version of the first family, the first version, there's so many members. This is just a, a handful of them. Mm -hmm. And there, there's some notable names there. And then the version that we are witnessing form now. It's really cool when to bear witness to these classic stables forming. It's really yeah. exciting to see the genesis of them. So Mike Tenay, who is called the professor because he knows a lot about wrestling, mm -hmm. but he lost a lot of wrestling nerd cred with me in this because he was talking about how Van Hammer has no experience in these type of hardcore matches. And I said, Tenay, you fool, don't you remember when he feuded with Cactus Jack in 1992 and even beat Cactus Jack in a Falls Count Anywhere match. So clearly, Hammer has a very hardcore pedigree. Also, this is like, there's a good opportunity to work the gimmick in and go, this is heavy metal Van Hammer. That guy's been in mosh pits for 10 years. He can handle himself. I, 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 I the, the, the confusing gimmick adjustments of Van Hammer in 1999, um, from peace to suddenly 
no piece to yeah. I have a jacket is yeah. a pretty cool. So I like the jacket spot because yeah. sometimes in these W's, and I got a reason, okay? It's not just a, a gimmick I'm doing. <laughs> it's not a bit. Sometimes WCW hardcore matches, you see the same three weapons. You see the kendo stick, the table, and you see the trash can, yeah. which you see in this match. But I like that the idea Hammer recognized, oh, my jacket has all these metal studs on it, so I'll use it as a weapon. And I thought, okay, at least like that was more thinking about what to do than just hitting with kendo sticks. Yeah. And I'm just looking for anything at this point. Yeah. Um. So I have written down here, the jacket spot is cool. It was less cool when he put the jacket over the turnbuckle, and the more he slammed Hugh Morris's head into it, the more the jacket fell off to the ground. But the thought was there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Hugh Morris, obviously, from his like IWA work, has hardcore pedigree, so I understand why they always put them in these matches. Um. I I'm just a fan of big clunky guys having big clunky matches. It's like my version of big meaty men slapping meat. Mm-hmm. I just want to see two bad wrestlers try to have a good match. And I feel yeah. like they were trying to have a good match. Um, there was somebody using... that once said that like the Irish professional wrestling is putting two immobile stiffs against each other and convincing a crowd that it's great. And I guess that's that's the kind of like the, the core professional wrestling value that you're getting entertainment from here. I don't need it to look perfect all the time. I <laughs> I like the front suplex into the table because it's not normally how people do that table bump. Mm. It was at least a little different. Plus, Hammer's old finish was a slingshot suplex. So at least he did some type of suplex. Yeah. Um, I also, though, have on my notes here, what the fuck is Rick doing? Um, if there were no hardcore matches, his feud with Terry Funk would have never ended. Oh, God. Um, I, I guess he just decided, oh, I don't like hardcore. I don't know why any of that happened. And yeah. so it, it's going to lead to the Junkyard Battle Royal somehow, though. Do you think it's do you think maybe in canon what happened is he really wanted someone to turn the lights on, but somebody who was preparing for a hardcore match that we never saw had taken all the light tubes out? And that's his in canon. He's like, I'm banning hardcore now because I can't see where I left my slippers and someone's taken all the light tubes. If it was leading to Ric Flair taking a light tube bump in 1999 then I think that would be really solid. But I remember him saying something to the effect, we're not having hardcore matches in these arenas anymore, which I think is supposed to be the reason why they fight in a junkyard. Um. Um, So the hardcore division in this company is really weird, and they're still like six six plus months away from having a belt. Yeah. um, Yeah, I I, I love this match, two stars. (laughs) That is... That's that sums it up. I love this match two stars. That was very much like your version of my uh, my holy grail, the the giant Mang no bumps match. Oh, uh, that match is so good. It's the oh, best. Let's go. Yeah, yes. that match is so good. And any oh, I have some issues. Like Ming is good. I don't know who's saying Ming is bad, but I I'm sorry. There are I, I know bad wrestlers. Baron Corbin is bad. Hey, uh, besmirching the big breakfast on this program. 
No, a big breakfast is what I get when I go to Denny's. Yes. Very important is very bad. Um uh so we'll move on to the the main event here and it's buff bagwell and dean malenko the the self-styled uh new vicious and delicious as you were saying earlier on versus randy savage and sid vicious with team madness um savage talking shit on the way to the ring screaming are you ready try to get people hyped up after being like killed to bits by the last hour of tv um Malenko, as I had written down as well, Malenko and Buff is a very funny pairing. What do you imagine they talk about while they're waiting in, in position to come out? Um, so, uh, one, the new, just to clarify, the new Vicious and Delicious yeah. is Savage and Sid. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, I thought that was obvious, yes, you know? of course. He's vicious and the ladies find him delicious. He has yes. the um Malenko and Malenko I was gonna say see I was gonna say Benoit because his natural partner is not rookie of the year Marcus Alexander Bagwell <laughs> but I did name them the Sprayberry High Stretchers <laughs> I like that yeah because so what do they talk about I don't know Florida is it one of those up- like where are they gonna have like you're gonna find out they have like a weird hobby in common like the two of them really love going fishing like Braun Breaker goes fishing, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I I love if they would do. I don't know why I want to talk about NXT, but I wish they would do like one of those segments, like Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner, where they just go out into the woods to go hunting, and Bagwell can be like, "Hey, Dean, you like to drink beer?" And he'd be like, "No, oh, Marcus, I do like to drink beer. Yeah, this is real good beer. I like being outside with you. Something like that." Yeah, like but, uh, Dean is trying to like very seriously make sure that the tent is secured in case there's adverse weather conditions. And then like the camera pans across and Buff is just like in his full wrestling gear with the top hat oiling himself instead of helping out. That's that's the kind of stuff you want. Yeah, the sad thing is the only way to make this team entertaining is to do things that automatically make them not main eventers. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's comedy goofs or nothing uh, really to make this a, a good bit. Um. The match starts with Buff showboating and annoying the veterans. He tags in Dino. He'll get the heat. Baseball slide under Sid and Buff is in. I did like that bit um, where, where Sid is like the clumsy giant that can't catch him as he's sliding underneath him. I always like that. A um, little bit of double team, but then Macho hits Buff in the back and Sid hits a choke slam. I, I genuinely thought, I was like, oh my God, is it over already? Um, it's kind of, it's the classic Thunder main event where it's like we're... Not really going to do much here. Um, we're going to do a lot of smoke and mirrors and then just go straight to the finish. Medusa holds back Buff while George distracts Dino. That doesn't work as Match then nails Medusa by accident. Uh, Dean then hits a, a lovely looking missile drop kick on uh, Savage. Uh, running drop kick on Sid before Match cuts him off again. Uh, crossbody by Dean that gets broken up. Match breaks down as Miss Madness does a sunset flip. And then Dean decides to uh, counter this by putting Miss Madness in the text Cloverleaf. Uh, this exposes him to the heels who then jump him. Uh, he gets powerbombed by Sid. Uh, match then signals for the elbow. Uh, and then we get uh, referee slaughter as uh, Nick tries to stop him and gets knocked on his ass. Then I think in excessive overkill gets picked up and crotched on the rope by Sid. Uh, Mickey J out and is immediately floored and then he gets a pile driver for his trouble he's just a second referee coming out to keep the peace uh, Match gets on the mic says we'll see you at Bash at the Beach Nash 
Um, Sid hits a power bomb on him. Um, there's two points from the end of this that I want to bring up. That's great. It's like we know that they were power bombing Mickey J as a symbol, but just in case you didn't know, Macho was yelling down the microphone, "This is a symbol." Just so you know that this was supposed to represent Nash. And then just because he couldn't resist it on the way out, Larry had to get an elbow in on Mickey J, where as the powerbomb happens, he just goes, Mickey J's in horrible shape. He can't take that. It's like, oh, poor Mickey J. It was mean. mean. Larry's cancelled. Yes. Sadly, Larry Zabisco is cancelled. Finally. I, you know, once a week I think about that. Well, Sabu is cancelled. Tweet. It's one of the all-time great tweets on that website. It's oh. one of the ones I'll miss when when Elrond sends that 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 site into the abyss. Um, what did you think of the main event, Aaron? Um, I, I mean, it's a Thunder main event, so I didn't expect there to be a finish or much time. Mm-hmm. I really. I really got into the idea of Randy Savage versus Dean Malenko, but like 1988 Randy Savage versus Dean Malenko, because for a brief shining moment, I thought, oh, what could have been? That looks kind of interesting. I thought they kept Sid pretty protected while showing that it took two of them, but they still couldn't knock him off his feet. I think, but it still kept Dean and Buff kind of strong. Um, I did like, so when, so Miss Madness does this sunset flip on Dean. Mm -hmm. One, what was her point? Is she going to pin him? I'm not sure. Um, all bets are off at this time in the company. She might've pinned him and then somehow inexplicably won the U S title. It is, it is very, it is a very big, what did her and Dean work on in training this week moment? Yeah. Dean then rolled through the Texas Cloverleaf, and it made me realize, oh, this is where he started to enjoy p- to put women in Texas Cloverleafs. Watch out, Lita. He's coming for you now. He's in training. Yeah, yeah I like that idea of like, what did Miss Madness learn in training that week? Where it's like she doesn't, she isn't quite getting things at this point, and she's just like, Dean, can we like do a sunset flip in the match tonight? And like, he takes a deep inhale to explain why that makes no sense, and he goes, you know what? Okay. Well, she's so nice. Yeah. Okay, Nora, we could do that. (laughs) Oh, oh, you know, if, okay, so just hear me out here. You know, if she was on the indies right now, Mm -hmm. you know, just coming up in the indies right now, you know, 100% she would be rolling in to Black Label Pro to take on like Billy Starks and her gimmick would be Nora the Explorer. God, it would. Because she's also like, because she's so nice as well, there's not a chance that she's saying no to any creative. Yeah, no. one's going to come up with something like that. And she'd be like, okay. She would be doing a gimmick that would infuriate certain people on this podcast network. Yes. Looking at the crowd going like, hey, do you know where the ring is? Oh my God. Yeah. I can actually, like if I take off one headphone cup, I can hear Joe Lanza's blood boiling. I'm in Texas and I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can hear the steam coming out of his ears when you're that close. In my kettle on the stove is now at a boiling point. <sighs> Seeing as you're in the Liam Alone seat here, Aaron, I'm going to wrap this show up by asking you for your overall thoughts on Thunder 68. 
plus your winners and losers? Um, this was a fine show. Um, I found it to be pretty inoffensive. You kind of have to like adjust your expectations that you're not getting 97 Nitro. You're not even getting 98 Thunder from this. Mm-hmm. None of the feuds are interesting. Uh, the show is helped out a lot by Roddy Piper not being on it because he's my least favorite part of this time in the company. Yeah. Uh, winners in this, big time winners. Jimmy Hart is a big winner because he's managing to get himself a lot of TV time for someone not involved in anything important. Um, I still think um, Buff, I still think Buff is still a winner. I don't feel like they've messed up his push either. Yeah, he's like, he's not, he didn't win the episode, but he's kind of winning by virtue of the fact that he hasn't been actively harmed by this two hours of television. He hasn't been buried. Yeah. Yet. Yes. And so um, I'm going to also put, I, I don't know how many winners or losers I get. Yeah, as many as you want. Okay, great. So the following people are winners. Hugh Morris, the Barbarian, Lightning Foot Jerry Flynn, <laughs> Brian Nobbs, and Jimmy Hart, because the first family is fucking rocks. <laughs> um, also winner, Eddie Guerrero, because at least back and he's over. And for those saying, well, he should be getting pushed right now, coming back from an injury, I would say Bagwell's getting pushed just now. So pushing someone coming back from injury obviously is something this company cannot do. So maybe you'll get pushed in a year Mm. in a completely different company. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It'll Uh, happen, just not where or when you would like. uh, Losers on this show. Mm. Blair. Yeah. It is despite any jokes I might say or bits I might do, he does not have his fastball right now and is being dragged down by this David Flair angle and the confusing need for WCW to have like a hierarchy power storyline. And also knowing in the back of my head that the natural match for him at the pay-per-view is not something he's doing. And I can't remember the next time he has a major match or a major program in this company until Vince Russo is here. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It's like, it is, it has been, it's something we've documented on the show with Flair. Like it is kind of sad to watch him kind of shamble around as a shadow of himself sometimes. And I think it's made especially like, harrowing by the like every so often like once every couple of months you see a flash of of the flair that used to be whether it's in a segment or like you know a brief moment in a match but i think particularly since the the infamous double turn we've been talking about for months um i've just been i've been so down on everything he's been involved in i'm just kind of, i'm just over it now because i also know he's over it um, so it's it's tough to get invested when you know a guy is just cashing a check. But anyway, uh, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borger gives us six matches with two clean finishes, one DQ or countout, one interference leading to a finish, and two other in brackets non finishes. Um, before I sign off, Aaron, would you like to uh, plug to the Thunder Buddies uh, where they can check you out on the interwebs? All right. For those who dare to go out there into the internet and find me out, like I mentioned earlier, you can find me on the technological hellscape that is twitter.com. You can follow me at miss, that's M-S, 
E-R-I-N-Q-U-I-N-N, Miss Erin Quinn. Give me a follow there for wrestling takes and pictures of cats and uh, other things a 42-year-old woman who doesn't leave her apartment might uh, talk about. If you want to hear me talk about more graphs, I just recorded nearly five hours of audio with Alan 4L. It was me and Alan's first time ever having a conversation, and we talked about some 90s TV. We talked about my backyard wrestling, and we went a very long time, and that's on the Torch website. You can also always keep checking the Voices of Wrestling Discord. I'm over there, and I do make periodic appearances on that podcast network, such as right now. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank Dave for extending the invite to be on here. I have always appreciated this podcast as a bona fide WCW head. It is just magic to know that someone is tackling the journey that is thunder. And sincerely, um, I take a lot of bus trips around San Antonio because I don't own a car. So podcasts are crucial to me being able to close what's ever going, close out the outside world and enjoy hour long rides. And Days of Thunder is truly one of the more valuable podcasts in my arsenal. So thank you both. And a shout out to Lee. Thanks to both of you for, for the hard work you've done these years. Thank you so much, Aaron. And it was a privilege to have you on. Um, You have been like a strong and vocal supporter of the podcast since like way in the early days. It's, it's, I was trying to think back. It's like, when is the first time I remember seeing Aaron's name in the mentions? And it's like very early doors. It was before we were in our current home, a long time before that. Um, I don't know if it was when we were still out on our own or wherever, but it was yeah, very early doors. And we like, we really do. Uh, we always try to say it anyway. We don't say it enough that like we appreciate everybody who stuck with us, whether you're whether you're new or whether you've been here with us the whole way along in the journey. Like the fact that anyone's willing to listen to this is still a source of constant amazement to me. So thank you so much for the support and for filling in and an excellent substitute appearance for Lee Malone on this show. I'm sure it won't be the last time. And in fact, if people want to hear a bit more of me and Aaron chatting, maybe next week over at a large man appears.com, you may get your wish sign up there for only five Europeans uh, at the, uh, at the tier that will get you all the exclusive audio. Which Europeans do I have to send you? So I will be giving you Dave Taylor, Fit Finley, Steve Regal, his son, because they can't be separated. Nope, can't. Wrestling Observer Hall of Famer. Oh, wait, he's not Big Daddy. Yes. I mean, look, you're you're getting essentially at least three Europeans in Big Daddy in terms of mass. So that's that's pretty that's a pretty yeah. solid deal. Anyway, okay. thank Thank you all for listening to uh, this episode of Days of Thunder. Uh, we should talk to you again on the free feed in two weeks and see you next week at largemanappears.com for more bonus audio. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder was produced by Lee Malone and edited by me, Dave Ryan. To keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us, you can follow us on Twitter at WCWThunderPod or click the Linktree link in our Twitter bio or in the show notes. I am at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Follow the VOW network anywhere good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts that you can shake a stick at. Thanks.
Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. <laughs> 